Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're in the book of Titus this morning, and uh, we're in chapter 3. So week 6 of a 7-week series, we're almost there, and I want to talk to you about winning at witnessing. Um, witnessing is something that every believer is called to do. I've shared this before that when I look at the scriptures, every Christian has two ministries. We have a ministry inside the church, and that's where we are taught from the Bible that we are the body of Christ, that each one of us is a part of the body and a member of the body. And as someone who knows the Lord and filled by the Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift. And it's not for you, it's for others. And so One of your ministries as a Christian in the church is to discover the gift of God that He's given you and to use that as a way to bless other people. But you also, and this is for all of us as Christians, we not only have a a ministry in the church, but we also have a ministry in the world. And that is the same for everybody. And that is the ministry of sharing the gospel. We've all got friends, family, co-workers, acquaintances, neighbors, friends. We've, we've got folks that we know that don't know Jesus. And who better to tell them than us? And so how do we win at witnessing? Well, let's kind of talk about evangelism for a minute and the gospel first, kind of lay a, a foundation, if you will. Uh, Max Stiles gives a good definition of evangelism. It's got four parts to it. He says evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. The teaching part is basically sharing something that maybe they don't know in hopes that now that they know it, it, it you know, it, it, they'll, they'll learn what they need to from it. So there's that element of teaching. You're sharing something that they don't know. And then there's the gospel. That's the content, the good news. And I'll talk a lot about that here in just a moment. The good news that Jesus saves. And then there's the aim part. We don't do this without purpose. We have an aim. We want to share this with everyone we know because we know they need it just like we needed it. There's an aim, a purpose to it. And then, of course, to persuade. Uh, The way Danny put it a while ago, you don't just say, oh, come see a man who told me everything he ever did. There's passion involved. You, You want them to see a difference. And so there's persuasion involved. You want to say, man, I want you to check this out. So evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Now, what is the gospel? That's the next important question. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel message answers four big questions. Who is God? Why are we in such a mess? What did Christ do? And how do we get back to God? Let me break that down for a minute. Who is God? It starts with God. You know, the Bible opens with this phrase, in the beginning, God, okay? God is, God is, is the only God there is, the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Bible. He's eternal. He's self-existence. He always has been and He always will be. He created everything that we see, the heavens and the earth and all the creatures and critters and yes, even you and me. And so God is holy He's righteous, he's just, he's perfect, he never does anything wrong, he's all-powerful, he's almighty, he's all-knowing, he's God. 
And then it says, why are we in such a mess? And you go back to the beginning of the, of the Bible again. Adam and Eve in the garden, they did the one thing, right? The one thing that God told them not to do, they did. We've inherited that same uh, bent from them. We uh, are all like sheep that have gone astray. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in this mess together. The problem is we want to live for ourselves instead of God, and that's the mess we're in. When you go to Romans 1, you will find that a great exchange took place, that man exchanged the truth of God for a lie. God, uh, man exchanged worshiping the Creator for worshiping creatures. Okay, And so that's why we're in the mess that we're in, and we're all there. We've all been there. Then it says, the third question, what did Christ do? You know, one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 8, that uh, in this, uh, God has demonstrated His love in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, okay? Christ died for me. Christ died for you. He did it while we were still sinners. In other words, God doesn't say, you need, you need to get your act together. You need to clean up yourself. You need to get in church. You need to do this. You need to do that. And maybe I will look at you differently. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, we didn't know God and we didn't even care that we didn't know God. And yet He came, He lived, He died, He rose again, and He did it for you and He did it for me. And that is what love is. Christ came and he took, his, uh, he took our sin upon himself. He, he took the punishment for our crime, and he took what we deserve. And so he did that for you and I. And then it says, how can we get back to God? Well, how do we get back to God? We come to Jesus. We simply come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, then uh, we have God back in our lives. And so that's just a quick... Um, overview, if you will, of the gospel and the questions that it answers. Now, let me share something with you. I found it to be a blessing to me this week. It's in Philemon. Uh, that's only one chapter in Philemon. So Philemon 1 verse 6. I want to read this verse from a couple of translations. The Christian Standard says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that's in us for the glory of Christ. Now, growing up, I read the NIV for years, and I'll read the uh, NIV here. It says, uh, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I think that's the old NIV translation. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I love the way that's, that's worded. Now, Max Stiles in his book on evangelism how the whole church speaks of Jesus, he said this about Philemon 1.6. He says, Paul's prayer is for us to be active in sharing our faith. But notice the reason is neither the response nor our effectiveness. He says, Paul is saying something I rarely hear, that sharing our faith is for our benefit too, so that we can gain a full understanding of the good things we have in Christ. And the Bible says, among all the good reasons to share our faith, one of them is what happens in us. Think about that. We need to share our faith 
uh, because it's a blessing not only to other people, it's also a blessing to us. It makes us realize all the good and great things that God has done for us when we begin to share that with someone else. And so let's uh, go to Titus chapter 3 this morning. And before we uh, put a handle on this, uh, I want to basically point out a couple of things. I want us to understand the dynamics of what's going on here in this passage in Titus chapter 3. There's a few things you need to be aware of. The first dynamic is the old life and the new life. When you begin to read Titus 3 verses 1, 2, and 3, he begins to paint a picture. Let's jump in verse 3. He says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of our God and Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. In other words, there's this distinction between the old life, the way you and I used to live, and the new life, the, the way we live now. And He wants us to remember that dynamic. You know, when it comes to sharing your faith with someone, you need to be aware of that. I know that's kind of obvious, but sometimes we don't need to miss the obvious. And the obvious is, we used to live a certain way, and it was all about me, myself, and I. But now that I've come to Christ, I don't live that way anymore. I live for Him. My life looks different because it is different. And so when it comes to sharing the gospel and sharing our our faith in Christ with others, we need, to be under, we need to be aware of that dynamic between the old life and the new life. And we need to remember, except for the grace of God, there go I, okay? There go I. The second dynamic I want you to be aware of is the, the uh, dynamic between belief and behavior. Belief and behavior. Look in uh, verse 8 for a moment. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. Um, belief and behavior go together. Okay, They really, really do. In our culture, unfortunately, we've done so many things through the motions that we can give lip service to anything and then we can walk away and just do whatever we please and we kind of disconnect it. We kind of compartmentalize our life and that's not what the Bible teaches. Belief and behavior go together. You know, there was a, there was a, a stunt person years ago at the Niagara Falls and he was one of those daredevils. And he, he had this tight tightrope stretched across. And he walked across it and came back. And the crowd applauded. And then he said, all right, I'm fixing to cross this again with a wheelbarrow. How many people believe I can do it? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, get in the wheelbarrow. I'm out, right? That's the difference between belief and behavior. If you really believe something, then your behavior is going to match. And then the third dynamic I want you to be aware of is what's profitable versus what's unprofitable. Go back, if you will, there in uh, Titus 3 and look in verse 8. We just read the trustworthy saying that if you believe God, be careful to devote yourself to good works. And the last part there, these are good and profitable for everyone. 
but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to reaching someone for Christ, you've got to know what's profitable and what's unprofitable. Sometimes we're so excited when we get an open window, an open door in the conversation to share something about church, about Jesus, or the Bible. And once we finally get our foot in that door, we want to stay there a while. And when they start throwing up objections, instead of you know dealing with the situation maybe with wisdom, we may misinterpret that to, uh, as a challenge and say, well, I've got the Bible answers for that. I know how to I know how to lay down Scripture on this, and we, all of a sudden we try to win the argument. You can win the argument and lose your brother, and that's not a win, by the way. And so you have to back up and say, okay, I understand the dynamics of witnessing. There's an old life and new life that comes to bear on the context. There's the awareness of belief and behavior. There's a connection, and there's awareness of when I began to share with others, I've got to ask myself, is this profitable or unprofitable? And so those are the things that I just want to bring to the table before we look at this passage. So now let's look at Titus 3, verses 1 through 11. And here's what I want to share with you for a few minutes. How to win at witnessing. I'm going to give you three things that you need to be aware of. Number one, you need the right position. The right position. Notice it says there in Titus 3, verses 1 and 2, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. In other words, you need the right position when it comes to witnessing. The right position. Danny, can I tell on you for a minute? I'm reminded of an old story when we... About one year, I played junior high uh, football. And Danny was lined up against a boy in our class that... He, uh, his name is Lance, that's all I'll say. And Lance had aspirations to be a bodybuilder. And he was well on the way. And so they lined up Danny against Lance. What would you do? So Danny got a little bit lower. Lance got a little bit lower. Danny got a little bit lower. Lance got a bit lower. When they said hut, he just pushed him down and went right past him, right? <laughs> uh, You've got to have the right position. When it comes to our position and witnessing with others, you've got to be in the right position. Here, there's a list of seven things in the first two verses of Titus chapter 3, 1 through 2, that he wants to remind you and me of and it makes us aware of being in the right position to win at witnessing. What do I mean by that? Well, remind each other to submit to rulers and authorities. Uh, you understand authority. All authority ultimately what? Comes from God. If you want to look at how Jesus handled authority, when He was um, betrayed with a kiss by Judas, and turned over to the authorities, and they brought him before Pilate. And Pilate began to question and interrogate Jesus, and Jesus didn't respond. And finally he says, are you going to say anything? And in effect, Jesus says, the, the only reason why you know, you're doing this is you've got the authority 
Uh, in other words, Jesus, that's my paraphrase of it, Jesus understood authority and he believed that all authority came ultimately from God. And so rather than being rebellious toward authority, he says, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. And then he says, to obey. In other words, the default position of our life should be to obey. We want to obey the Lord. We want to do what is right. And so we want to be obedient. And then the third thing is to be ready for every good work. Well, if we have the right attitude, if we try to be obedient in all things, then guess what? We're going to be ready for every good work. And then it says to slander no one. Isn't that a great way to live? In other words, the right position when it comes to witnessing is don't slander anybody, okay? Don't slander anybody. And then to avoid fighting. How about that? To avoid fighting. Um, who wants to pick a fight with someone? Um, that's not going to win uh, your witness with folks. They're going to avoid you. And so uh, to avoid fighting. And then to be kind. To be kind. I love kind. The word kind to me has always kind of resonated. We live in a culture where we like the word nice, but there's a huge difference between nice and kind. Kind to me is much deeper. It might have the same effect. Somebody might go, well, that was really nice. But kindness is more reflective of not just the right uh, action, but the right attitude underneath that. Kindness, be kind. And then the last thing, the seventh thing, always showing gentleness to all people. When we take that list and we stack it up as a, as a bunch of uh, attitudes and actions, if that becomes our default position in life and we maintain that position, that attitude and those actions, then that's how we win at witnessing is we have the right posture, the right position. The second thing we need to do to win at witnessing is we need to have the right purpose. Go to verse 3. He says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. I'm not, I'm not even going to explain that other than say that's not a very pretty picture, is it? And that's what man is like without God. Then he goes on, but when the kindness of God our Savior, see even God is kind, when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. I love that. How do we win at witnessing? We need the right position or posture, but we also need the right purpose. And the right purpose is realizing we used to be there. Been there, done that. But now we've been changed. We've been saved. And if God can save me, He can save him or her or them. And the same is true for you. If God can save you, 
God can save those that you know as well. And so that's the purpose. And think about it. God can save us because we know the mess we're in. We've made our own mess. But He saves us, not by anything we have done. It's all what He's done through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The regeneration part is being born again. And the renewal part is the ongoing day by day where I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And all of that is because of the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose. And then the last thing, how to win at witnessing. You need the right position. You need the right purpose. And the last thing, you need the right plan. Look, if you will, in verse 8. It says, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they're unprofitable and worthless. And then he gets very pointed. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. For you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. Wow. In other words, our plan when it comes to witnessing should be simply to devote ourselves to doing good works. We're not doing good works to be saved. We're doing good works because we are saved. There's a big difference. And so we do these good works because we are saved. And because we love people and we want to serve God and we want to serve others, when people see us doing the things that we do and they go, well, why are you doing that? Then you can give them the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with a clear conscience, as Peter says. Do it with gentleness and respect and point them to the Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then when they start throwing things up, and you know, I'm glad that Danny mentioned the woman at the well, One of my favorite stories, if you read the whole story, it's in the Gospel of John chapter 4. If you read the story, she's like, why is this man talking to me? Because of the culture and everything, she's she's there at the well in the middle of the day, which is, like he said, that's not what you do. You go when it's cool, either early in the day or late in the day. But she had a reputation. She'd been married four or five times. She was uh, an outcast uh, socially. People looked down on her. They judged her. They knew, they knew her reputation. And so she didn't like the stares or their glares. She didn't want to hear the whispers. And so she would come to the well. Everybody has to have water, especially in the Middle East, in the desert environment. So she would go in the middle of the day because nobody is supposed to be around. And she doesn't have to deal with people staring at her, talking about her, judging her. And she shows up and there's Jesus. And then he says something to her. And her defenses go up. What are you, a man, talking to me, a woman? More than that, what are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan? And then he says, well, if you knew who you were talking to and the gift of God, you'd be asking me for a drink. And she begins to question him. What do you mean about this water that you have to drink? You don't even have a bucket. And now all of a sudden he's engaging her in a conversation. And then... As he begins to reveal more truth to her, her defenses keep 
going up. And she kind of wants to argue about it. She goes, I perceive you're a prophet. He goes from being a man to more than a man. He's a prophet. And once she discerns that he's a prophet, it's kind of like the conversation that we get sometimes, Brother Don. Oh, you're a preacher. Oh, okay. Well, let me ask you a question. And they've got, you know, they got a, you know, a bullet in their gun that they fire when they need it. Like if I run into a preacher, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask him this Bible question. He's going to get all into that, and I'm going to miss this presentation. I got to go. Been there, done that, right? And so anyway, she goes, "Sir, I perceive you to be a prophet," and she wants to know this big burning question. You know, you're. Your people, the Jews, say you got to worship in Jerusalem, but we in Samaria say that we should worship here, and the implication is, who's right? Who's wrong? And Jesus cuts through all that and says, you know, a time is coming. It doesn't matter if you're worshiping here or there, but the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And all of a sudden it boomeranged and came right back on her. And when he said that, she got, you know, maybe excited and a little scared all at the same time. And she, uh, they began to talk. And he says, why don't you go call your husband? And she goes, I don't have one. And then he says, you're right. You've had four or five and you've got one now that you're living with that's not your husband. And all of a sudden, she's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, who are you? How did you know that? How did you read my mail? All of those things. You know, a lot of times when you begin to share the gospel, when you begin to share truth, when you begin to share your faith in Christ with other people, they want to know, they want to hear, but at the same time, it might put them in a situation where they get uncomfortable or maybe their defenses go up and you got to have a plan. You want to win your brother, not the argument. You don't ever argue someone into heaven. You don't study the Bible so much that you have an answer for everything and you go out and say, I'm going to share the gospel with somebody. And no matter what argument they have, if they've got 99, I've got 200 and I'm going to win every one. And then they're going to say, well, you're right. I just want Jesus in my life. It doesn't work that way. Nobody is argued into the kingdom. Okay. And so here he gives this guideline of devote yourself to good works. These are good and profitable for everybody, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, disputes about the law because they're unprofitable and they're worthless. And reject a divisive person after a first and second warning because you know they've gone astray and they're sinning. Now the context of this was he was talking about the way Christians were. They were liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And he's saying there are people that are teaching things they ought not teach. And so he's saying that in that context. But you and I got to be aware of the plan. The plan is to share truth, share love, share Jesus. And if they come up against something they don't like, let them deal with it with God. The woman began to see that Jesus was a man he was more than a man. He was a prophet. And when he read her mail and told her what was really going on in her life, she goes, Sir, she tried to shut it down. Sir, all I know is that one day the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll make it all plain. 
And in effect, he looks at her and says, you're talking to him. How much plainer do I got to make it? And at that point, you know what she did? She dropped her bucket. You don't drop your bucket when you went to get water. She dropped her bucket and she ran to town. And the very people that she had been trying to avoid, she's now going, hey, 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 come see a man who told me everything I ever did. I believe he's the Messiah. That got the whole town's attention. They said, I don't know what got into that woman, but she talking to me, she talking to you. Let's go check this out. And they go to the well and they find Jesus. They invite him to their town. And if you read the rest of the story, he stays with them for like two days or so. And then they say, we really do believe he is the Savior of the world. Why did they say that? We really do believe he is the Savior of the world. Because if he can love her, if he can love me, he can love anybody. You too. And so today, I want to encourage you. When it comes to winning at witnessing, you've got to maintain the right position. You've got to have the right purpose. And you've got to follow the right plan. I want to close with these words. Alvin Reed in his book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. And yes, that's the title, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. He says... God, give me today, number one, an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus. Number two, the wisdom to see it. And number three, the courage to take it. Let me share that again. This is a simple prayer that you and I can pray. God, give me today an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it, and the courage to take it. And may He be with you. Well, let's all stand as the musicians come. We're going to have a time to respond. You know, the good news is this. The good news is that God loves you and me. He sent His Son into this world. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. He took our place on that cross. The punishment that we deserve was on Him. He did that for you and I so that we might come to Him, recognize He alone is God, and receive the free gift of eternal life because He paid for it with His own blood. Today, as we prepare to sing, it's my prayer today that you'll choose to trust and follow Jesus before it's everlasting too late. Father, we come before You now. Thank You for this time in Your Word. And Father, may we choose to trust and follow You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.